This morning's text, if you didn't guess from our call to worship or you didn't read it in the email, is the Beatitudes, the Blesseds. These are Jesus' shocking announcement of God's love and blessing to all the underdogs. And they kick off what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this sermon contains some of Jesus' most pointed and most important ethical teaching. And the stuff in here is so hard that so hard to actually do that a lot of biblical scholars write it off as ideals for living and not actual instruction on how God's people are to be in the world. Now, I personally believe that when Jesus invites us to do something, it's because we actually are meant to do it. Of course it's hard. If sacrificial love were easy, everyone would do it and the world would be fine. Now, over the next couple weeks, we're actually only going to do a few lessons from the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to circle back around to them this summer, and I'll do a whole series on it. Uh, But we need to keep moving through the book of Matthew. So this morning, we're going to hear the blessings, the counterintuitive announcement of God's blessing And then after the youth moment, we have a wonderful opportunity today to hear from Kirsten Bailey. Kirsten's bio is in your bulletin, Um, but she grew up at David's UCC in Canal Winchester and has followed God's call to minister to refugees in Eastern Europe. And if God really does bless the poor in spirit, the meek and the mourning, God does that through us. So let's listen now in the reading of scripture for the word and the wisdom of God. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me, says Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is the word of God for all people. Okay. 
Good morning, everyone. Um, So I'm going to ask you guys, before I get started, to just sit comfortably and close your eyes for a minute. I want to read you a poem. All right? Get real comfortable. Stretch out if you want. Put your hands on the back of the pew, whatever you need. The universe took its time on you, crafted you precisely so you could offer the world something distinct from everyone else. So when you doubt how you were created, you doubt an energy greater than us both. Amen. My name is Kirsten Bailey, and I am a global mission intern with Global Ministries. Global Ministries is a church organization. Um, It's a combination of the UCC and the Disciples of Christ coming together to do outreach work um, for partner churches across the world. This work that I do, I have been in GMI for the last three years. I've been in two placements. Um, I was in Hungary for two years and I was in Greece for 10 months. This work is funded by local congregations just like you. It's funded through your donations and your offerings to our church's wider mission and one great hour of sharing. My work that I'm going to talk to you guys about today is only made possible because of your generosity and the generosity of congregations like you guys across the U.S. So I want to say thank you for making the last three years of my life possible, truly. My most recent calling was in Katerini, Greece, and I served with the Evangelical Church of Greece um, there at their Perihodis' NGO. Um, And the congregation that I worked with locally in northern Greece is a congregation following its calling in a bold way. So I want to share a little bit about that with you guys today. I'll give you guys a little background about Greece first before I get started. Uh, Greece is considered the gateway to Europe. When you hear on the news about refugees, asylum seekers, migrants, immigrants who are entering the European continent, many of those individuals are coming through Greece, either by land or by sea. The local population in Greece is mostly Greek Orthodox. So when I worked with the evangelical church, they were considered like a religious minority within the country. given that there are still some tensions between the evangelical church and the orthodox community. Greece has a population of 11 million people, um, with about 10% of those being foreigners, 20% of the population being 65 or older. Um, So that means that Greece has an aging population, and this is kind of exacerbated um, when many young Greeks have moved to other countries in Europe um, in order to find work. After the economic crisis in Greece, um, many young people had to leave in order to find jobs and be able to build futures for themselves. More than one million people have passed through Greece's water and land um, since 2015, so quite a few people have come through. Um, but Greece has, has, has like historically always been a crossroads for people um, throughout history. It was a major you know, trading area. Um, People continue to arrive to the Greek islands or cross through Greece's land border with Turkey across the Everest River, even today. Um, I left Greece in the middle of December, and there were still thousands of people arriving to the islands and hundreds of people arriving through the land border. According to the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, which is the UN organization that cares for refugees around the world, There are almost 70,000 refugees, asylum seekers, and migrants in Greece right now, 
um, current day. About 16,000 of those people are trapped on the islands and about 53,000 people are on the mainland. Um, but the situation in Greece is still very hard for refugees. Even though they've made a dangerous journey and have made it safely to Europe, um, camps on the islands are often housing people at sometimes six times their capacity. And camps that are set up for people on the mainlands are not always geographically thought out. So there are sometimes refugee camps that are built or constructed in northern Greece where there's snow and there are mountains. You can ski in northern Greece. And so when winter comes, those camps are no longer inhabitable for the people who have been living there. Um, so while Greece is doing a great job of taking care of people, there are still a lot of issues within the country in this kind of work. So I was specifically uh, living in a small city called Katerini. Um, it's on the Perian Plain. It's in between Mount Olympus and the Mediterranean Sea. I was about a half hour away from each, right there in the middle. Um, the population of Katerini is about 80,000 people, but the city swells in the summer when tourists come. But most of the tourists who come to Katerini are from either Eastern Europe or from Russia um, because it's a more financially feasible way for people to experience Greece without having the expenses of traveling down south to the islands. So what this means is that Katerini is used to having a lot of foreigners in its city, but it's used to having foreigners with very pale skin who look similar to them. They're used to foreigners who look more familiar, maybe, to them. Um, there is also a large Pondian and evangelical population in the city of Katerini that is due to the local evangelical community there. So the church community that I worked within was decent size. There were about 300 people at worship on any given Sunday. And the neighborhood where most of the evangelicals in Katerini lived, there was about 5,000 people in that neighborhood. So it was good sized. Um, the evangelical community that I worked with was originally a Greek community in Pontus, which is near the Black Sea in what is today Turkey. Um, but after the fall of the Ottoman Empire, genocide broke out and minorities living in Turkey were persecuted um, in very serious and very violent ways. And so this Greek community that had been living in Turkey suddenly became refugees themselves and had to flee. And they ended up in Aleppo, Syria, um, on their way fleeing Turkey, coming back to Greece. And some people stayed in Aleppo for six months, other people were there for as long as 18 months. And so this Greek refugee population fleeing the Ottoman Empire was cared for by Arabs and Kurds in Aleppo, Syria. The community was given a large plot of land in Katerini where they could then build a church and build a neighborhood and make a home for themselves back in Greece. And this is where, like I said, the community still lives to this day. And so this historic experience is really ingrained in that church community. The matriarchs and the patriarchs of families and of the congregation tell these stories and pass them down um, to the people who now make up the vibrant congregation today. And so individuals in this congregation now see the hospitality that they are able to show refugees as paying back the generosity that was shown to their ancestors so many years ago. This congregation has always been about social justice, but this especially started in 2012. The congregation realized that they had to make social justice and community outreach more tangible. Before 2012, before Greece's financial crisis, the congregation was hosting dinners and having social events and integrating with the wider community in Katerini. But after the financial crisis, they realized that they had to serve the needs of the people now, where they were what they needed in that moment. And they realized that that was a food bank. 
So after a lot of discerning their call, after a lot of Bible studies and a lot of group processing and discernment, they decided to fund a food bank. Their food bank, unlike others in the area, served local Greeks, the local Roma population, which is a politically correct word for gypsies who were living in the area, and they also served migrant workers from Albania and Bulgaria who were living in the area. And so these two groups of people, Roma and migrant workers, previously weren't able to access the other food pantries that were in the area. So this was really such a necessary ministry. The people who were running this food bank then in 2015 saw thousands of refugees trapped in refugee camps in northern Greece. The borders between Greece and Macedonia were closed and people were not able to move farther north. And so the people who had done this great outreach with this food bank realized that they also had to do outreach to those people. Their, their congregation, their community was also calling them to do that. And so this congregation on a weekly basis would close down the food bank one day a week and take supplies to refugees in a camp a couple hours north. Um, food supplies, clothing, toiletries, all of that. And they started to build connections there in the camp. And as this congregation continued to discern its calling, they realized that they couldn't just visit this camp one day a week, drop off sandwiches and food, and then wave by and drive back to their comfortable homes. And so the current chairman of the NGO today um, was the first person to bring refugee families back into his home in Katerini. He was going to leave one day and he couldn't. He had become so close with these people that he had been serving and spending time with. He called his wife and told her, honey, get the house clean because I'm bringing people back. And she said, okay, how many people are you bringing? He said, I don't know, I'm gonna see how it goes. I need to talk to the people who are running this camp, but it's winter, it's cold, and these people haven't had clean clothes in weeks. I need to bring them back so that they can sleep in safety and really rest in a non-stressful environment. She said, okay, that's fine, I understand, I'll clean the house. It turned out that he brought back nine people. He filled up an entire van, and this family already has five children. There were a lot of people living in that house. And it turned out that these nine refugees and asylum seekers stayed with this family for two months while they got their legal paperwork figured out. Other people in the congregation saw what was happening, they saw his experiences, and they decided to open up their homes too. And before they knew it, there was a whole number of households in Katerini, members of this church, who were willing to open their homes to refugees. And the church realized that it was again being called to go one step further, and so they funded an NGO. They started their own non-governmental organization so that they could get funding from bigger NGOs to do this work on a larger scale and serve more people. They wanted to be able to provide sustainable housing and a safe environment for people who were in need of refuge. And so in 2016, they funded that NGO. And now to this day, over 2,500 um, refugees have been served by them. This NGO has two different projects. There is one that is the UNHCR accommodation project. It's more short term and it hosts approximately 500 refugees in Katerini, but it's mostly focused on covering the basics. So, so getting people safe housing and legal advice um, so that they can move on to the next step in their journey. The other program that the NGO has is through RefuAid Help and Help Refugees, which are two UK organizations. And so they funded a long-term project that's focused on holistic integration. Um, so not just housing and legal care, but really helping, helping people integrate and build their lives from the ground up. So it's much more complex. 
And this project hosts about 40 refugees in Katerini. So in total, there are around 600 refugees living in this city of 80,000, um, all located in the downtown area. Sorry guys, I need to get a drink real quick before I continue. Um, so this holistic integration program, like I said, is a long-term program. It's funded for five years. Um, and so the idea is to support eight foreign families as well as two local families because the NGO and the church community fully believe that you have to start integration from the very ground um, of this project. And so it's not just foreign families there who are being helped, but it's local families who have really been hit hard by the financial crisis in Greece. Um, and the aim is to find solutions to restore independence and dignity to these families. And so for the first two years, the NGO covers everything, any educational costs, medical costs, housing, um, all of that stuff. And the hope is that then people are supported and are able to find work, sometimes starting off as short-term work, but eventually long-term work. And then in the third year, the NGO supports a family at 75%, and the family contributes 25%. And that number continues to increase. So in year four, the family contributes by 50%, and at year five, the family is contributing by 75% to these total costs. In the hope that then by year six, this family has been supported and cared for and nurtured over these five years, and they're able to stand on their own then 100% and cover all of their household costs. So what exactly does holistic integration include? I told you that the um, UN project is really focused on the basics, but that this one is much more comprehensive. Um, so the organization believes that integration should be holistic. You can't just look at one facet of a person, one area of their life, and then help them build everything else. You have to see all different sides of a person. Um, so they assess psychological needs, social needs, what a person's education level is, what are their long-term dreams for education and for employment. And so this project aims to help with all of those things. When I was leaving, we had one child in nursery care as well as nine children who were enrolled in public schools. Um, we had individuals in temporary and long-term work. Our project planned social events and helped families with financial planning and financial literacy so that they were able to understand what the costs are for running a household practically. We also coordinated summer camp for children so that our refugee and migrant children were able to, even once school was out, still interact with their peers and continue practicing their Greek language. Um, I also ran a handicrafts group as part of my work there, and there was also a sewing workshop going on. The project that I worked in, I told you it had 10 families, so eight that were foreign and two that were Greek. Um, so when I left, there were 40 beneficiaries in the project, 12 men, 11 women, and 17 wonderful, delightful children. These families come from a variety of countries. So five of our families were coming from Syria. One family was Palestinian, so they were technically considered stateless, which is something that not a lot of people think about. We had one family coming from Iran. We had two families that were local Greek families being helped. And then we had one family that was coming from Iraq. One of the most interesting things that I found um, in working with these families is that a lot of people um, would assume that maybe the man would be the head of the household, but in our families, for 50% of them, it was actually a woman who was the head of the household. So it was either a sister or a wife or a grandmother. 
We also had a variety of different types of families and people living in these 10 apartments that we had. So we had three single women, five single men, six nuclear families, and two single parent families. So a lot of what you'd find in one of our apartments is that we would have a nuclear family with another single man living there who was a relative. Or you would have um, a single parent family with maybe a cousin who was living with them. And so there was a, a very diverse makeup of um, the people that I worked with. One of the most important parts about, about integration in general, um, in any country, is being able to speak the language of the community that you're now a part of. So both Greek lessons as well as English lessons were offered. Um, Greek lessons, we had a professional teacher and classes were twice a week, but only about 30 students regularly attended those lessons. And these lessons were open to both the UN short-term project and this long-term project, so 600 people total were able to attend these, but only 30 people attended Greek lessons. And I think that that speaks to the fact that due to the economic situation still in Greece, many refugees and asylum seekers still see their long-term future in another European country. Um, but children in the integration program, um, it was really important for them to get additional Greek help. When you're learning a language, a lot of the kids in our program were trilingual usually. They would speak Arabic, Greek, as well as English. Just because this child is able to speak Greek doesn't mean that they're able to learn new things in that foreign language. They may be able to hold a conversation, but when they would go to a public school and try to learn a new concept, if they didn't understand the language that was being used to teach it, then they didn't understand the entire concept itself. So we had additional one-on-one -on -one lessons for all of the children who were in public schools so that they were able to keep up with their Greek peers in those classes. There were also intensive English lessons for adults um, because the children in public schools were already taking English classes there. Um, those classes were three times a week, and compared to the Greek classes, um, there were 90 students who were regularly signed up and attending English classes. Social integration I talked about is super important in the work that I did. Um, so some of the practical things that are involved in social integration, um, we would make sure that individuals had a VAT number for the local taxation office so that then they were able to be employed just like a regular Greek citizen would be. There was no extra paperwork that an employer had to do. There was nothing else that could um, legally like hinder them being employed. Um, we also made sure that families had AMPA numbers so that they could access public health services and get free health care. And then we would send a translator with them so that they would understand what was going on. Another thing about social integration is getting familiar with the town. A lot of times, I'm sure that you guys may have experienced it, when you move to a new place, you tend to stay in your geographic comfort zone. So you get to know your own neighborhood, maybe your favorite grocery store, a couple favorite restaurants, and you kind of get into a groove. And sometimes, especially if you're in a foreign country, it's really hard to expand beyond that geographic comfort zone. So that's one thing that we were very intentional about doing with our families. We would take families to see various stores, bazaars in the city, um, pharmacies. We would take people on field trips to parks and on family walks. And because we were only 20 minutes from the beach, we would also take families to the sea so that they could have fun there and get to know what that area um, looks like. You know, what is a little mini day trip vacation like? Um, many of our kids had never really experienced that before their time here with us. We also discussed very openly the costs of living in Greece with our families. Some integration programs um, don't adequately prepare people for life on their own when the project ends. And so we really tried to do that with our families, to sit down and talk about all the boring financial stuff that goes into running a household, but that's very important to know.
Finding employment is one of the most difficult things in Greece, especially for foreigners. And so in my experience, it was the number one reason why families would leave Greece and go on to other countries. Um, Greek culture was oftentimes very similar to what they had come from. The weather was similar. A lot of the foods were very similar. But if families can't find jobs and they can't find sustainable employment, then it's very difficult for them to want to stay there and build a life. Um, a couple of the families that I worked with told myself and other members of staff, I see Greek people leaving all the time to go to other countries and to find better opportunities. Why should I have to stay here when I have it even harder, you know, trying to find a job and trying to build a life? Um, and so some of our families would. Um, during my 10 months there, we had five families depart our program. And while it was sad, that also meant then that we had the opportunity to bring in five new families and offer them safety and security and shelter while still being in touch with and continuing to socially support our families who had gone on to other countries. Despite these difficulties, we had an amazing time um, employing folks. We had four folks employed as translators, two people employed as produce harvesters, one person worked at an industrial auto store and did super intense welding and things that I don't even fully understand, but he was great at his job and his employer loved him. Um, we had two people working as general duty employees at a local elders clinic, one person working at a pizza shop, where we then all got discounts on food and it was excellent because um, your girls on a volunteer stipend, it was very nice to go there. <laughs> um, and we also had two employees working at a local car wash. And so some of this work was short term, but a lot of times one of our families would get a job, they would get their foot in the door, and then it would turn into long term employment for them once their employer saw them and their work ethic. The atmosphere in Katerini is very interesting in regards to refugees. I told you in the beginning that foreigners have always been coming to Katerini um, for tourist reasons. There are a ton of historic sites and beaches and things to do and to see. But some people in the community there are starting to feel like the city has kind of reached its limit. It's reached their capacity for how many refugees they can take in and care for. In 2020, the UN will actually turn over all of its accommodation programs to the local government. And so some people on the NGO scene are a little worried about how that transition is going to go as well. One of the reasons why citizens in Katerini, though, have reacted so well to this influx of refugees is due to two things. One is the NGO's commitment to buying locally. So you can't have a successful integration program if you're not also helping the community where that integration program is taking place. And so everything that was bought to furnish apartments and houses for these 600 individuals was bought locally. So a lot of businesses that might have gone under or who might have had to reduce their hours or move to a different city were able to keep their doors open because the NGO kept its money local and supported all of these local enterprises. Additionally, the UN gives cash cards to refugees who are living there in Greece so that they can have independence over their finances and spend their money how they want to, to restore financial dignity to these people. And so according to the UN in December, um, could you go back real quick? No problem. There's a number that I just didn't remember the exact. So in November, there were 60,983 total asylum seekers and refugees in Greece who had these cash cards, which means that there was over 6 million euro in cash going back into the Greek economy. And because of this, the Greeks have continued, not just in Katerini, but in other cities, especially in Athens and Thessaloniki, to be very open to these people. There are still challenges, but the church feels called to do this work 
and they're supported by the community around them because they have invested in that community. They're not only meeting refugees' needs, but they're also meeting the needs of the local community by following their calling boldly and confidently and authentically. And so I want to encourage all of you, you don't have to follow your calling just by moving to Greece and working with refugees, okay? There are a lot of ways to follow your calling in your own context. So I encourage you all this coming week to think not only individually about what your calling might be and what you're called to do for your community, but also what your calling is as a community of faith. What are the needs here? And are they being met by you as a community of faith or maybe you individually? And if they're not, then what can you do practically? What small steps can you take to help meet those needs? Thank you. especially when we know that we get to be a little bit of a part of that by giving to OCWM and uh, One Great Hour of Sharing. One Great Hour of Sharing is one of the special offerings. We do five special offerings a year for the UCC. And OCWM is called Our Church's Wider Mission. And Zion gives a portion of the giving that we, that we bring in as a congregation every month. Um, a percentage of that goes to our church's wider mission. Thank you, Kirsten. It was great to have you this morning. I have a couple of announcements for you. Sam has a couple of announcements for you. And then we have one more song to sing. Uh, I wanted to draw your attention to this insert that is in your bulletin. There are two really great opportunities on here. The first one is only available to about half of you because it's women's retreat. So men, you will have to plan your own retreat. If you, um, if you have been looking for a way to get to know some people better here at Zion, I would love for you to come on women's retreat with us next weekend. It will be women from Zion, women from Westerville UCC, and women from David's UCC, which is Kirsten's home church. So um, we are going to be providing breakfast on Saturday morning. There are five or six of us already signed up. Uh, it's just Friday night and Saturday, and I would love to see you. You can fill this out just with your name. If you know who you want to room with, it's just two to a room. Your breakfast sign up, you can give this to me after service. This is open to all ages, all races, all orientations, all marital status. All the women who would like to come are welcome to come on this retreat. The other opportunity on the back is called Learn It, Live It, Share It, which is put on by the Ohio Conference of the United Church of Christ. So there's a lot of information on here. What I want you to know is that if you have been trying to think about how do I go about talking about my faith, I love being here at Zion and I feel like really good things are happening inside my head and my heart and I'd like to be able to talk to other people about that. This workshop is designed to help you do that. So look at some texts in the Bible, think about how it works out in your own life, and then talk with other people about how, how do I share this in a natural way? I'm not talking about going and knocking on people's doors or handing out tracts. How do I have natural conversations about my faith and the things that are important to me? So if you are interested in this, you can sign up online. The information is down there at the bottom. If you are interested in women's retreat, you can turn this in. If you are interested in women's retreat and you want to go from this, you need to turn this in and steal one of these from someone else before you leave today. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, just a couple quick announcements to get out of here. Uh, the fellowship schedule is open 